Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to a special episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are doing one of our director follow-up interview episodes. We've only gotten to do a few of these over the last couple of years, but I always really enjoy doing it. And I'm always happy for the opportunity to talk to one of the filmmakers who made one of the movies we talked about and see how we did as far as trying to figure out these influences and puzzle pieces and all that. And uh, it's it's always hard to tell what we're going to get. But today we are talking to Bob Byington, who wrote and directed Francis Ferguson, a movie that we covered here on the show a few weeks ago and a movie that I loved. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. And so we get into a really great conversation. We talk about Francis Ferguson, some of Bob's other films as well. And uh, it's just a, a really cool conversation that dives into some of these pieces and to some of the actual inspirations that Bob had in mind while making these kinds of movies. So before we jump into that conversation, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. So I think without any further ado, let's get into this interview with Bob Byington. All right, so uh, joining me today, I've got filmmaker Bob Byington, whose film Francis Ferguson we just covered on the show uh, a couple weeks back. And Bob, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. As I'm sure you've heard on the episode, I really love this movie, and I was really glad that you... Uh, we're down to do this little interview. We're going to talk about some of the puzzle pieces we discussed on the main episode, but I also want to, you know, just get a chance to talk to you a little bit. I have a few questions along the way that uh, that I wanted to ask. Uh, but first of all, we're a little uh, confused or wondering about the release of this movie because, you know, it hit a lot of festivals last year, won an award or two, I think. Then I, I saw some press about it possibly opening in November on, on Amazon Prime, but then it's listed as a 2020 release. I just found out about it in March. When did this actually hit Prime? I, it may have hit in 2019. I, I think we... Um... We wanted it to look fresh and new, so we may have changed it to 2020. So mm -hmm. hopefully Bezos doesn't find out. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was it was something that like popped up as a new release, and uh, and I was like, oh, this looks good. And I I honestly I hadn't seen your previous work, and now I have, and you know I really love a lot of what I've seen, and uh, I, I was glad that I discovered it. But um, you know, jumping into uh, oh, look at that guy. <laughs> Wait, what's this guy's name? Bender. 
Has Bender uh, has Bender been in any of your films yet? No. Okay. But <laughs> jumping into uh, just a couple of questions I wanted to ask before we jump into some puzzle pieces. One of the other films of yours that I watched, uh, Registered Sex Offender, also kind of deals with this. You know, it's a very different movie, but you know, kind of within the same realm. Was there was that something that you planned to like, kind of go into this world again of these kinds of yeah. characters? Yeah, I'm interested in the rehabilitation comedy, and and we had made that film many years ago, and we wanted to try a different spin with the the hot teacher model, yeah, and uh, the comedy of the. I I just thought it was ripe for. Um, it just seems obvious to me that you would make a comedy about the the hot teacher sex offender. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, it's a no brainer. Yeah, it, it really does seem like it. And it's, it's interesting that other filmmakers haven't gone there or explored this kind of a story. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of what, what makes this so fresh and so interesting is, is that it's just something you really haven't seen, you know? Yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask before uh, we jump into this, you know, obviously we've seen versions of this that have happened, but, you know, there is like the little title card, uh, you know, based on actual events. I, I was wondering, you know, without any specifics or anything, it, how much of this came about, you know, I don't know about in like in an improv kind of way, but like from the characters that you had written and how much of it came from any kind of like true story? Well, we had done a lot of research on these cases and I worked with a writer who did comprehensive research. So she's sort of an amalgamation of uh, a few teachers. And you may know the New York Post does a lot of um, stories on the teachers. And mm. uh, that was really the thing that the main inspiration was all the, the New York Post articles. Right, right. And then I, I assume that the character probably changed a bunch once you found Kaylee Willis? Um, yeah, Kaylee and I developed her together. So... Yeah, she and I had been working on something, and we just moved the character to uh, to this teacher, and it just kind of it made sense to me. I, I'm not sure it made 100 percent sense to her, but but she got the hang of it, <laughs> and um, uh, I like how it turned out. For sure, for sure. Well, uh, let's jump into some of these puzzle pieces. Which the first one I wanted to bring up is the Jody Hill comedy "Observe and Report," which really just goes to really uncomfortable places with the comedy. And are, are you a fan of Jody Hill's work? And what did you think of this as a puzzle piece? Uh, yeah, I like Jody. I had met him in uh, Vegas in 2009, and he's an interesting guy. Um, I know that what he wants to do with, um, like, he's siding down and stuff like that is, yeah, it's a, it's a neighbor in a community of the type of comedy I like to do. Mm -hmm. He's very smart. And influence? Um, no. Not so much. No. Okay. What about uh, another one we had mentioned, a uh, fellow Austin filmmaker, Richard Linklater, uh, in the film Bernie? I just thought kind of the weird small town and all these, these you know, odd characters. And we uh, spent a little bit of time with each one along the way, getting to learn about them just a little bit, but more so about their reaction to what happened with the central character. Yeah, again, uh, hats off to, I consider Linklater to be an actual genius. I don't throw that word around. And um Mm -hmm. he's uh just been a huge inspiration to me again with that movie he's looking to do something really specific with somebody like jack black and to a lesser extent shirley mcclain that is different from what i'm doing for sure right yeah no and definitely uh you know with, with your movie with francis ferguson i mean the the 
exploration of this kind of character is definitely a different thing. Uh, but more so about the uh, the the kind of just the weird small town feel. Oh yeah, and I love that and the interviews. Uh, you know, if I if I were in a different setting, we we might have tried to make a film where we interviewed people in the town, and I think that's a great idea for a movie like this. For sure. And you know, we might have made an eighty minute movie or eighty five minute movie if we'd done that. And um, again, hats off to that kind of uh, filmmaking. I like the idea of you like giving all these films to me and then me just shooting all of them down. <laughs> It's interesting, yeah. I mean, you you absolutely never know. Uh, you never know what's going through the mind when when creating these things. And yeah. you know, obviously, there is something within this kind of a character that you're looking to explore uh, first and foremost, more so than uh, you know trying to go somewhere that that has been gone before. I mean, this is clearly a very different kind of a story. I think one of the inspirations was how uninterested Kaylee was in most of what I said. And uh, <laughs> I think that the character came out of that, like my fear of being ignored by her generation. Mm. You know, she's, the character's accused of this kind of flat affect and this kind of um, bored kind of quality and i think that came from my own fear of of her being bored by my most of what i've said to her well in in that case because seven chinese brothers which i i really loved as well i mean jason schwartzman's character also kind of has you know a bit of a i don't know almost like a contempt for everyone and everything around him and uh yeah yeah it's similar that's different Jason was not bored by, did a really good job of not acting like he was bored by what I said. Um, he's also like a genuinely kind person, mm -hmm. almost to the detriment of that film and that character. He's, he's really not like Larry at all. Hmm. And um, he's not a loser. Um, he's a high functioning, um, ambitious, constructive person in real life. So, you know, we might have benefited from someone who, who seems more like a loser. We had Patton Oswalt involved with that project for a while, and, and Patton Oswalt's a comedic a juggernaut, but probably seems more like a loser than Jason Schwartzman, right? <laughs> hey, I, I suppose. Uh, I mean, his I comedy mean... is kind of rueful, and, and he sort of makes fun of himself in a way that, that is maybe more fitted to that, that idea. It's interesting to hear you say that uh, about Schwartzman because, I mean, you know, as an outsider just watching, uh, he seems so great in the role. But, uh, you know, clearly a certain thing you're going for that it's like you maybe don't, you know, can't disconnect the, the actor himself from it. Yeah, well, when you're on set and you're working, with Jason is kind of like, um, he's almost like a prince in real life. And so there's, he's putting on a certain amount of um, anger and dejectedness in the role. Mm -hmm. And um, he doesn't really have that dejectedness in real life. Right, exactly. Well, you know, back on Francis Ferguson and what you were saying about Kaylee, uh, we also had Daria and Beavis and Butthead, the MTV animated series, as possible puzzle pieces. I mean, those, you know, clearly probably not actual inspirations for you, but as far as the character is concerned, uh, kind of seem to come from... Uh, a similar place of bored by everything around them. Right, right. Again, Mike Judge and Austin, uh, legend, and uh, sure. have a lot of respect for him. I don't know that that Beavis and Butthead impacted Francis Ferguson mm -hmm. in a one-to-one -one way. I really like people like 
you know, I've worked with Stephen Rude and, and Martin Starr and people from Mike's universe and um, wish I could pull off the kind of world that, that he creates on Silicon Valley. Oh, um, for sure. But, um, but again, probably no, Beavis and Butthead, not an inspiration for this. Well, that's an interesting thing. Um, real quick, before I move on to the next one, I mean, you're bringing up Silicon Valley. I'm excited it, when you hit one. You know, when you hit one, it's going to be like the mother love. Yeah, we're we're going to kill it. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but a quick question: Is TV something that that interests you? Like you mentioned, Silicon Valley as a series is like creating a bigger world like that that goes on. Yeah, I was going to do that before the pandemic hit. I was going to try TV, and and that fell apart. Mm. So it, I think it has me retreating back to just making another little movie. I feel like everything's falling apart, but you know, that's another conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so another, another piece that we had mentioned on the show is uh, David Fincher's fight club and the idea of just deciding to go to bottom to start over. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. Fincher's a big figure for me. I like watching his films uh, just because everything seems, um, carefully thought out he doesn't want to mm -hmm. waste my time sure he's also famous for saying all people are perverts and um <laughs> i think there's a perversion to his work that i respond to he he takes it you know he doesn't think it's a big deal um that people are perverts and i i think that francis ferguson has as a starting point like <clears throat> of course people are perverts uh let's not pretend otherwise and, sure. I, and I think Fincher's impacted me in that regard. That's yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, I do, I do think that that not only is a uh, you know a very real thing about the movie, but then also there's so much comedy around it as well. Just the fact that she, you know she ends up interacting with so many people who have various pasts that dealt with these kinds of issues. Yeah, well, when you get when you have to rehab for something like this, you tend to get put into group environments that aren't that thrilling. And um, one of the comedy, you know, one of the things about the movie that's comedic is kind of watching her navigate that environment. Sure, you Absolutely. kind of get in there, and you're like, I hope I'm not like these people. And um, I don't know. I kind of want her in making the film. I kind of want her to get in that environment and start to see similarities and not differences, you know, and that's mm. part of, part of the path she's on. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, the path, it goes in a, I don't know, it's like a mostly positive, hopeful direction, I think, as she's navigating this. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, so another one that was kind of, uh, I think, an obvious, like, both my co-hosts for the episode, Chad and, and I both said it immediately, was uh, the Gus Van Zandt film To Die For, mm -hmm. which, I mean, you know, again, there's not a lot of movies that deal with these kinds of, uh, I don't know if you call it a relationship necessarily, but this kind of a relationship between a student and a teacher. And so what do you think about that one as a piece? Yeah, I like that movie, and um, I've seen it a few times, and I know it caught me off guard. Um, I had seen his other work, and Mala Noche was a big film for me, and I've seen Drugstore Cowboy 25 times. Sure. Um, to Die For was, yeah, it's just raucous, good fun. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think it also helps that, you know, as a gay man, he's looking at a heterosexual relationship, and so it's almost like a science experiment for him to make a movie about a teacher sleeping with a student. He's not, I don't know. He's not heterosexually titillated by the idea of sleeping with his hot teacher. Right. 
he's probably titillated by a young Joaquin Phoenix. And, and um, <laughs> so the movie wants to fuck Joaquin Phoenix in a way that, that um, works. For sure. Can I say that? Can I say the movie wants to fuck Joaquin Phoenix? I mean, I don't have any objection to it. Okay. And, you know, I think there'll be a lot of people who agree. It's supposed to. I mean, for the movie to work, it's supposed to. And, and I wasn't attracted to Joaquin Phoenix in that movie, but darn near, darn near. Um, <laughs> he's really quite something. Absolutely. So uh, one last one I'll bring up and then, uh, you know, we'll see if you have any like specific, uh, you know, influences that maybe we missed or anything like that. But we do have some of those. I'm happy to. Yeah, I, I am sure. Uh, but that, that last one I'm going to bring up and we had a bunch more on the episode, but I'm not going to go down every single one of them. But uh, but that's the uh, the Netflix series Orange is the New Black, which uh, Never you know, seen you it. Got, yeah. So there you go. It's definitely not inspiration in that sense. Well, she looks like Taylor Schilling, and that's not yeah. lost on me. I'm not. I'm not a complete moron, but I. <laughs> I was dating someone who was doing some ironing one time, and we had Orange Is the New Black on. Okay, but that show is not. I'm not the target demographic for that show. For sure, I don't know who is. I mean, I f- I fell off after uh, one season or two seasons. Not attacking that show either, but uh, I really like Natasha Leone, and I didn't even know she was on that show. Yeah, she's good in it. Very good. If I could just watch her scenes, I would watch Orange is the New Black. <laughs> there you go. There, there's, you know, I'm sure Netflix is working on that feature right now. <laughs> anything anything to keep us glued in. Why not just uh, do like a release a <laughs> Natasha Leone sizzle reel from Orange is the New Black? There you go. 23 minutes. The Natasha Leone cut, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> and watching her, you know, we had made the film, but watching Natasha Leone and Russian Doll, mm. that's the type of performance I'm so attracted to. I love her you know presence on screen she's so alert and funny and uh, just really turned on by that type of work right on i thought that show was astonishing when she was on screen and deeply unwatchable when she was off screen (laughs) so uh obviously we we uh we're not exactly nailing these things here what what are some uh influences specifically with this project that you had in mind well i've i've said this in other interviews i'm always kind of trying to make an Aki Karzmaki movie. I don't know if you know this guy. He's a Finnish director. Mm. He made this thing called the Proletariat Trilogy in the late 80s and early 90s. And mm-hmm. I think I'm always trying to make an Aki Karzmaki movie. So that's more on like the overall career arc, like a lot of your a lot of your films? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably the single biggest influence on me. Mm-hmm. His humor, he makes 70, 70-minute movies, which I, I like 70-minute movies. And he's very spare and dry yeah and um i just think that i saw his work at a time when i was young enough that it really absorbed in me and um i'm just trying to make match factory girl um i'm just trying to make uh he made a movie called ariel that i love and i I think i'm just trying to make those movies interesting uh any any others uh specifically on francis ferguson well, I'm a big uh, Wong Kar Wai guy. I really like Chung sure. King Express. I, I think that the the last 60 minutes of Chung King Express, uh, I'm always trying to make that movie. Mm-hmm. It's basically Match Factory Girl and Chung King Express, even though the first 40 minutes of Chung King Express uh, it's, doesn't work for me at all. He introduces a new story 40 minutes in, and that's the part that I think is astoundingly great. 
So with the reaction of the movie so far, ha- has there been any uh, from, you know, any of the critical reception? I don't know if you, you know, read reviews or any of that, but has any of it connected on uh, those influences that you're that you're aiming for? No, no. It's interesting. I would say no, of, of course not. But um, Curse Maki is a sort of more well known for a film he made called La, La Vida Boheme. Mm. And he's known for his more recent work, but these films have sort of been lost in a way where they're not they're not very well known. I mean, I think they're they're known to film fans and cinephiles, but they're they've sort of he's sort of gotten lost a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, that's and that's part of the uh, part of the goal of the show here is to uh, you know connect the dots. If you like this movie, go check those out. You know that kind of a thing. Right. So I'm glad you're bringing them up for sure. Yeah, I think he's got. Match Factory Girl is on Criterion, and it's it's a flat, stone cold masterpiece. Uh, it's six, sixty eight minutes long. Awesome. I did want to bring up uh, one scene from the movie real quick that I just thought was so so funny. It's one of the first uh, arguments between Francis and her husband, and you know she's like uh, she's four, and husband's no, she's three. You're three. I, I was wondering, is that something that came from any kind of a personal uh, experience? Because it's just so so funny. Um, well, that was not in the script. We started doing that scene, and that that came out of an improvisation mm-hmm. um, where um, one of us. I mean, I've worked a lot with Keith, who plays the husband. So somebody got the idea to say you're three i would take credit for it but i know if i did that the kaylee would probably remind me that <laughs> she came up with it um sure. <laughs> she was really good at that type of material like just in the scene coming up with something like that i know that when keith says what is your deal to her that's just something he said during the scene that was funny <laughs> that's great <laughs> would you want to work with her again kaylee sure for sure. And, and one other question uh regard to what you were just saying there. Is improv a part of, of your films normally? Well, we had, you know, we had David Krumholtz, the group therapy leader, and he's very good at improvisation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just bring him in without a script and get good material. We, we worked with him um, in a way where I wanted him to know the material for the scene. But the way that he sort of fundamentally made it his... You cannot tell the difference between when he's giving a scripted line and an improvised improvised line. Right. I mean, I kind of can, but it's not performance based. It's just because I know the script. But he um, he's very talented at a sort of seamless uh, mix of scripted and improvised material. Hmm. And some actors are like that. Not very many, but some are. And then some are really good at at giving scripted material, and some hate improvising. And it, it just it's case by case. Sure. Kaylee sure. was good at improvising, but didn't really want to do it. She wanted to work with scripted material. Okay. And then uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about was the uh, her little internal scream that yeah. she would let out every so often. Uh, wh- where did the idea for that come from? Um, I'm sort of drawing a blank. I know that it's an homage to the gulping that Dustin Hoffman does in The Graduate. Huh. We actually had a lot more of it in the cut. There were like five of them, and I think we cut it back to two or three. Mm-hmm. But um, I think she did that once when we were rehearsing for something we were going to do before Francis Ferguson, and um, and that it made its way into the, 
movie because I thought it was really funny when she did it. Yeah. <laughs> but we had we had one that I that we cut that I kind of wish we hadn't cut. Yeah. <laughs> she screams when during the the online divorce, uh, the the, uh, the Zoom divorce. Mm. <laughs> that um, I guess would be the norm now. The Zoom divorce. Sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had one in the cut right up to the end that we cut right before uh, before the end of the before we finished the edit. Gotcha. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we're going to have these like diehard fans of the movie. I know that we have some people who really like the movie Mm -hmm. and um, that's great. But um, I tend to dwell on the things about the movie that, that I wish worked better and, and bringing up Bernie is a good example. Yeah. You know, there's a part of me that, that wishes we, we had taken advantage of the town and, and Mm -hmm. interviewing some of them and we just didn't do it. Huh? Yeah, no, I, I could see where you would want to, uh, you know, branch out into more of those characters and how they, you know, how more people from that little town uh, react to her and yeah. to what she did. Well, we screwed up, see? Nah. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly there's uh, people like me out there who, who love this movie as is. But It's um, funny, like, <laughs> like it. and I'm gratified that you liked it, but I, there's a part of me that still just, I don't really believe that you liked it. You know, that's just... Uh, <laughs> I, that's director low self-esteem i guess <laughs> is is it that way with uh other films as well yes yeah okay. uh seven chinese brothers which uh if you want to watch that together sometime uh we could accumulate hundreds of errors that we made <laughs> that i could point out to you that's funny because i i like that almost as much as i like francis ferguson yeah <laughs> What what are you uh what are you working on now? Like I'm assuming that you must have things that you are trying to hopefully get back to once this is all over. Yeah, I wrote a new script uh, that's kind of a companion piece to a film we made ten years ago called Somebody Up There Likes Me, and mm-hmm. in in some ways Francis Ferguson is a you know like you said a companion piece to RSO, and and I wrote a new script with. Uh, a lot of the people that we've worked with in the past in mind. So Great. I hope we get to make it. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I hope uh, I hope people get to make things soon. <laughs> that would be nice. Have you seen uh, Have you seen Greener Grass yet? I haven't. No. It's a movie that impacted me. I finished Francis Ferguson. It was on the festival circuit with us, and mm. um, I just think that group is very talented and and like to work with them so okay I'm sort of been interesting steps in that direction i'll have to uh take a look for that so i was actually just about to ask you i always ask my guests uh for a recommendation of something that they've watched recently so i guess that works for that unless you have another one you want to throw out there well i would be too embarrassed to say what i've been watching i mean it's not porn or anything but i i've been <laughs> watching um billy on the street on netflix mm. and i had tried to watch Billy on the street a few years ago and kind of thought it was dumb. And then there's something about it being on Netflix where you can watch it kind of seamlessly. And I just think it's really good. Um, I think he's like a dyed in the wool surrealist. Like he is the the genuine article. Um, He's got this surrealistic sensibility that I think lines up with even someone like Louis Bunuel, who I adore. And um, I think the show is really well written, even though it doesn't yeah. seem like it is. Huh. And I've been really impressed with it. 
Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I certainly know of the show, but haven't watched it. So maybe I'll check it out. Well, if you can kind of get into a groove with it, it's definitely uncomfortable. And he's he's genuinely rude to strangers, which is not, I don't know, not something I would recommend doing necessarily in New York. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> going around being rude to people in mm. New York, but it just works. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, right on, man. Bob, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I look forward to what you what you make next. We're queer. We're geeks. We're, We're queeks. queeks. Superheroes. Star Wars. Broadway. Drag Race. So if you're super gay, super nerdy, or anything in between, listen to Queeks today. Wherever fine podcasts are sold. And find us on Instagram at Queeks Podcast. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bob Byington about Francis Ferguson. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go out and seek this movie out. Like I said, I mean, we said it on the original episode. It's maybe not for everyone, but I loved this movie, and it's definitely one of my favorite of the year so far. It is on Amazon Prime, so go check it out. So that does it for today. Uh, as always, I want to remind you to please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together in your podcast app of choice. And uh, if you're enjoying the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. You can also uh, follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces where we continue the conversation about all of the movies we talk about on the show as well as everything else going on in the world of movies. We have a whole lot of episodes coming your way in the next few weeks. Uh, we also have some advanced episodes available on our Patreon. You could always go sign up for that. And just lots lots. Lots happening on the show. Lots coming. We are in quarantine, but we are continuing to watch movies and cover movies. We got more missing pieces, more regular episodes, all kinds of stuff. So thank you, as always, for being out there listening. And uh, thanks for Bob for coming to talk to us. That was awesome. So let's leave you guys with a piece of music, as we always do. And you know what? I think that I am going to give you guys a little preview of something new. How about that? This song does not have a title yet. Uh, it is one of the tracks I've been working on while I'm sitting here in quarantine, and it'll be on whatever the next album is that I put out. But uh, yeah, this is an untitled new track that was made in April, and uh, I don't know if it's 100% finished yet, but if it's not, it's pretty damn close. But enjoy this, whatever I end up calling it, and <laughs> look forward to that whenever I do release it on whatever my next album is. And we'll be back with whatever the next episode is of Piecing It Together coming up real soon.
and All Points West. <laughs>